0: They took 24 hours, they came back to me and they went, here's a real Facebook profile of this person, and he's been using photos of, of his own son to pretend to be his son.
1: Hello again, folks. Welcome to another episode of In Melbourne Last Week, a conversation podcast where I speak to everyday people who do extraordinary things. My name is Ivan Pugioni, and I'm a Melbourne-based podcaster, radio presenter, and voiceover artist. Last week, I spoke to Susanna Birch. Uh, Susanna is an activist, a doula, a writer, and a blogger. Uh, she was also the victim of catfishing for 12 years as a teenager, and an earlier childhood incident inspired her in later life to become what she is today. You can read her story and find out more about her at susannahbirch.com. She also runs a pregnancy website called Trimester Talk, an evidence-based resource for women during pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and baby's first year. You can check that out at www.trimestertalk.com. It was a really good chat, and uh, we talked about what she's learned in her journey as a mental health advocate. Uh, as well as her experiences with being catfished as a teenager, like I mentioned before, and uh, as well as her work as a doula. I got a lot out of it, and uh, thank you very much, Susanna, for uh, chatting with me. You may notice some audio interference when I'm talking during the interview. There was a bit of crackling on the line. Uh, Susanna sounded great, though, Um, so hopefully that doesn't bother you too much. And some of the content here may be sensitive to some listeners, so if you experience any issues while listening to the podcast, please contact your local crisis centre wherever you are in the world. Anyway, here's my chat with Susanna Birch. Enjoy. I'm sitting in my dining room uh, in a lovely Saturday afternoon. I've just moved house. Uh, My studio isn't quite (laughs) set up at the moment, but all the way from Queensland, I'm chatting to today, uh, activist, writer and blogger and uh, I guess many other things. I guess what you call a slashy, someone who does many things. Uh, Susanna Birch. How are you, Susanna? I'm good. How are you, Ivan? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. What's the weather like up there at the moment?
0: Uh, It's that in-between weather that's not raining and not sunny and no one knows quite what it is.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> so, it's not, you know, 25 degrees and sunny like it usually is at this time of year in uh, in Queensland?
0: Despite all the people saying this, it doesn't happen as often as you think. <laughs> no,
1: fair enough. But you guys don't have um, pretty... You have pretty good winters, though, isn't it? Like 21, 22? It, uh... actually,
0: it actually depends. I'm in Toowoomba, so it oh, can okay. get down to um, oh, maybe 5 to 8 degrees max. Uh, on really cold days in winter.
1: Oh, goodness. Isn't that the flower capital of Queensland, Toowoomba, or plants? or something? Yeah,
0: they call themselves the uh, Garden City.
1: Oh, the Garden City, yeah, right.
0: And we have a yearly carnivore flowers. In ah. September or October, usually. Ah, yeah.
1: beautiful! Yeah, I've I've heard about that. Yeah, that, that'd be beautiful that time of year.
0: It is. There are tons of floats, and it, it's gorgeous. And there are competitions all around the town. So yeah, uh, everyone has their best garden.
1: Excellent. <laughs> well, that'd be wonderful, I'm sure. Um, so as I did mention, um, before, uh, you are a, an activist, uh, writer, a blogger, and also a, a if I pronounce this correctly, a, a doula, doula, doula. Um,
0: Adula, yes, a that's doula. right.
1: Yeah, so what? I guess before we get into to everything else, I mean, I, I was curious. I, I didn't Google what a doula a doula was, but what what is one of those? I mean, what what is that?
0: Adula is essentially a. Uh, birth coach. So uh-huh. while when you're in hospital, you're going to have people coming in and out when you're in labour and you're going to have different faces all around you and it's really hard to get continuity of care. Uh-huh. Whereas a doula is there to look after the father as well, make sure he eats and drinks, uh, make sure the mother's happy and comfortable and um, provide support throughout the entire birth as well as before and after labour as well.
1: Oh wow, so you've got quite a responsibility.
0: Yeah, definitely. So personally. I only tend maybe one or two births a year. Okay. Um, I, work, I prefer to work with postpartum women um, simply because you're not on call from, for about five weeks straight.
1: Right. And Baby postpartum is, yeah, and postpartum, sorry, Susanna, that was uh, post-pregnancy, is that right? So when the baby's born? Yes. Okay. That's right. Sure, so sure. So
0: usually during the first six to eight weeks after birth, that's when I'll be a support
1: Okay, that's good. That's good. Well, I'm sure you see plenty of uh, lovely babies in your uh, in your line of work when you do it. Yeah, I love babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. Speaking of, I guess family and and babies and and all that kind of thing. You're uh you're a writer, a blogger, and uh, you're also an advocate for mental health. And uh, you have gone through you know different stages or different things in your life in childhood and and your teenage years, which I I've read about, and uh, we can talk about a bit later. But. Uh, I guess from an advocacy point of view, what have you learned on your journey so far?
0: I think the biggest thing for me was realizing it really is that a journey. Right. So, a lot of people out there, they experience some type of healing. It can be through uh, talk therapy, it may be through EMDR, it may be through CBT, all these different acronyms, all these different therapies. And they may also go through forgiveness or something else in their journey. And I've seen a lot of people reach those points and then try and tell everyone else how to get there. And the problem with that is you can't force someone to heal and it's not a place you get to and it stops. No. So instead it's more about the fact that for me for instance I swore I'd never forgive my mother for what she did to me Mm. and it took me about 10 years of going over everything until I reached that stage and I didn't even mean to. It was something that happened when I was working through other issues. So it's really important to remember that you can't tell or force someone to start healing. It's something that has to happen Mm. during some point in their lives.
1: Yeah. So these wounds can take a long time to heal depending on who you are and uh, I guess everyone's different.
0: Definitely. And uh, different milestones in your life also impact that. So, for instance, for me, having my own children um, had a big impact because it made me reassess a lot of things.
1: Yeah. Like what kind of things?
0: Um, well, I, I went through um, a period of postpartum OCD, which is where you have invasive thoughts that you can't push away, um, which ends up with compulsive behaviours. Uh-huh. And, and for me, I was very scared that I'd repeat what my mother did to me as a child. And so I learned a whole lot more about myself. And also about what I thought about mental health, my feelings around it, instead of just seeing it as an issue that my mother had, right. I started to see how it could impact on me as well.
1: Right. No, that's fair. I guess it puts things into perspective, you know, having your own children. Definitely. Absolutely. And and, and just leading into that, um, you were, as you, you have mentioned on your, I've, I've read your blog um, and, and also your website as well, and uh, you did say you were the victim of a childhood incident at, at the hands of your mother. Um, and you claim that that actually changed you and made you who you are today, like you mentioned before um I guess we don't really need to discuss the incident itself if you're not comfortable, but I guess i could I could ask um what do you think in in terms of the mental health system, what do you think needs to change to help victims of of childhood abuse, like whether they're still children, or whether there's people like yourself who are still, you know, trying to get over these issues after so many years, because uh, you have said different people take different amounts of time to go through them. I mean, what, what needs to change in the mental health system to help victims of these kinds of incidents?
0: Uh, looking back, well, for me, my incident was different than many of the mainstream ones. My mother tried to kill me during a psychotic episode. Uh-huh, right. um, but my father was always there for me and always looked after me, made sure everything was fine. Uh, he lived at home with both of us for quite a few years after the incident. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky to have him in my life and, and still do. Mm-hmm. So whereas a lot of people – um who abused as children, there are so many issues in the Australian Family Courts, especially. Yeah. And I really feel there needs to be a Royal Commission. There needs to be some huge changes mm-hmm. because the biggest problem is uh, none of these people actually take the children into account. They're so busy arguing over the rights of the parents that no one actually discusses the rights of the child. Yeah. And looking back for our family, for instance, my, my father questions why he stayed with my mother so long. And back then, there wasn't the awareness that mental health issue could repeat itself. So no. doctors told him that this had never happened again, and he could go back to his happy family life.
2: Yeah. And
0: you know, we were listed by the system as fine, they closed the case, and, mm. and there was no oversight after that. No. So, and, and this still happens. I mean, I've read other stories where children have been killed in the last few years, where other siblings have actually gone back to that same parent within a few years. Yeah. And this is because no matter what the adult does, mm. the adult has rights. And I'm not an advocate for male or female rights. I know a lot of people ha- take one side or the other. Mm. I'm just an advocate for the child being actually hurt. Because yes. when a child discloses any type of abuse or problems, they actually can't get anything done. Unless there's DNA or video evidence mm. or, or something real and tangible. a lot of the time it's almost impossible for the child to be hurt, which is very, very sad.
1: No, so you think there should be avenues for the child to perhaps say their piece and perhaps decide which parent to go to, you know, if one parent is abusive and the other one is is not?
0: Definitely, or even uh, neutral third parties.
1: Okay, like the guardians or... Are
0: legitimately yeah.
1: neutral. Right, so like a guardian or... So you say no one, no one related by blood, so as in like a foster parent or something? Is that what you mean?
0: Possibly. I think it varies by situation, but it's, um yes, it's all about giving the child the right to be heard and listened to and believed.
1: Yeah, because they're they're the victim at the end of the day.
0: Definitely, and they they don't always have the words to explain what's going on, (laughs) which is why they need someone there who will actually listen and help them explain.
1: Oh, well, hopefully, uh, there's some more funding in mental health, especially with the, uh, you know, now we're more aware of mental health issues and also uh, abuse, particularly, you know, abuse of children, as we've seen in the media, you know, in the last few months as well, and uh, a few things. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, there will be changes. I so we'll- Hopefully, in this term of government, because the Australian elections just happened last week, uh, the mental health funding's a bit low, from my understanding. Uh, but hopefully, there'll uh, there'll be a change.
0: Yes, definitely hope so. At least, I'm, at least in our, sure our lifetime with this government, what's going to happen there?
1: No, but at least hopefully in our lifetimes, we can uh, we can say that uh, there'll be more funding for it.
0: I definitely think that many of the children who are bu- being abused now, or have been in the last couple of decades, are going to start speaking up mm-hmm. in the coming years, and that should hopefully make a big difference.
1: Absolutely, especially with the high-profile George Pell case as well. Absolutely, uh, you know, a couple of people yes. coming forward. I think that's really opened up a lot of, you know, it's opened up a lot of opportunities for, for victims to come forward. And I think, you know, it, it's the older dash, you know, when the first one does it, everyone else will do it. Yes, so and, and I think that's
0: going to happen around the family court and around um, family violence as well over the next decade or two.
1: Uh, that's Yeah, well, I hope so too, for, for their sake and, and everyone else's around them. Susanna, just leading into that so in in your childhood you did have that incident with your with your mother but as a teenager you uh, were also the victim of what's called catfishing which has been uh, pretty uh, pretty prevalent in the media in the last year or so, I think there's a, a case going on at the moment, which I'm sure you've, you've heard of before, where someone was being catfished and they were posing as a an actor from Home and Away. I'm sure you've heard that story.
0: Yes, yeah, the Lincoln Lewis case. Yeah,
1: yep. that's right. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people probably didn't know much about catfishing before that that case. But um, I, once again, I did read your blog post, which explains what happened to you as a teenager being catfished for, for the last 12 years. And, and, and again, like I said, we don't have to, to go into that. I mean, it's all in your blog. I, I can, I can put your uh, website on the show notes, and, and we can all uh, read it. <laughs> so uh, we don't need to explain it. But uh, I well, guess I'm happy
0: either way. <laughs> yeah,
1: either way. Well, I, I guess if you like to, to to talk about it, I mean, what happened? Uh, what happened in those twelve years? Because you were fifteen when it started. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I was fifteen. So it was back in um, two thousand and two, I believe it was. Okay. And what happened then was. I went into a teen chat room, as you do back in
2: 2002,
0: mm-hmm. and uh, these days, people go to different social media platforms, but back then, chat rooms were the place to be, mm. and I went into a chat room, and I met a 17-year-old guy who was from Queensland as well, incidentally. Sure. Which is quite unusual on the internet, because you go into most places, and there's a whole lot of Americans, unless like, you go somewhere specific for your country.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm. So. We hit it off, we started talking online, we talked on MSN and ICQ, we ended up talking by phone Mm -hmm. and he had a Scottish accent so it was hard to tell how old he was and we ended up having quite an intimate online relationship for three years. Mm -hmm. and. It felt very real, but he was also very jealous and demanding. Yeah, right. And we go through breakups and then we get back together. Finally, he proposed to me when I was eighteen. Okay. And I went, oh, finally! So something I'm going to have to meet him now. Something's really going to happen. Sure. Um, and then he broke up with me again, and that was that was the final straw for me. I said, well, if if you don't take a proposal seriously, how would you ever take a relationship or a marriage seriously.
1: Right, right. And what was the reason for him just having a change of heart? Did he realise that the, his, the game was coming up soon or it was finishing or, or he just kind of had enough? I mean, what do you, do you know why he had a sudden change of heart?
0: We used to fight about a lot of small things. So it was something to do with me not being available to uh-huh. talk to him at a certain time. Right. It was a ridiculous reason which added to me asking, well, why should I take you seriously mm. if you worry about such tiny things and then blow up over them. Yeah. But we continued talking for another nine years after that, platonically.
1: Right, okay. And, and, and when was it when you realized that he was actually a, a 60-year-old man?
0: Uh, this was a few years ago. I think it was 2014. Oh, wow. Okay. And so we'd been talking up to that point on and off. He'd call me sometimes. We'd exchange emails still. And. I actually saw the TV show Catfish. Until that point, I'd always questioned his identity, but. I thought he was lying about something in his life he was embarrassed about. I never actually thought he was lying about his age or his location or his other parts of his life. Mm -hmm. So when I saw Catfish and realized that it was actually very common for people to create fake personas on the internet, Mm -hmm. I started digging deeper and I found a site called Social Catfish and they offered to do a background search based on just an email address. And I'd always looked, but I could find very little legitimate information about him so his email was the best i had so they took 24 hours they came back to me and they went here's a real facebook profile of this person and he's been using photos of his own son to pretend to be his son goodness and he was 62 at the time Mm -hmm. and he was a former police officer and he had children and grandchildren and it, it was all very creepy
1: that's very frightening
0: yeah, absolutely. And it happens a whole lot on the internet.
1: It does. And I could imagine in 2002 as well, where uh, online security wasn't really seen as a big thing. I could imagine it would have been much easier for uh, for these kinds of incidents to occur. Um, but I guess these days, actually, you made, it, you made a point before where uh, children these days, they don't just have MSN and ICQ like we did when we were younger. They've got Snapchat, facebook twitter <laughs> you know like they, they've gone out of the chat rooms and now they're they're basically connected 24 7 with their phones and tablets and stuff so there's actually i guess a bigger risk of of being catfished or being a victim of uh, some kind of online scams
0: well absolutely so uh one of the issues i see is you can't Find out if photos are fake sometimes because there are many sites out there like Facebook where you can't do a complete reverse search and find out if someone's photos are real or if they're stolen from someone else on Facebook. Yeah. So it's completely possible to go to a Facebook page, steal all their family photos going back years, and then slowly feed them to an innocent victim, hmm. or make up a fake profile with a slightly different name.
1: Yeah, frightening. I, I'm sorry that you you went through that, and um, yeah, I, I feel sorry for for anyone who has to who has to go through that. It would have been must have been pretty hard when you found out the news.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think it would have been a lot harder if I had been romantically involved with him at that time Mm. luckily I went on and married someone else in the real world Mm -hmm. and so when I found out the catfish's real identity I actually felt sad and shocked and then I felt relief because all these years I thought maybe I was the reason that he broke off the engagement and never had a good enough excuse to meet me mm. when in reality he was just trying to hide his own fake identity
1: and have like you mentioned about healing wounds in the, in the past you know regarding your childhood have, have the heels wounded uh for, for that incident yet um, or are you still working through it
0: i think i'm working through it a little but yeah. most of it i think was also in the past by that point. So, as I said, I felt relief at the end mm. once I saw so the other emotions. And sometimes I just think I wish I'd had a real-life first boyfriend who I fell for mm. uh, before the catfish. Um, but mostly, no, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm married to a great guy. That's great. I've been married to instantly for twelve years now, so
1: oh wow, well, well and done. We
0: have two kids.
1: <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. So, Susanna, I guess based on your experience, unfortunately, you know, you you've learned it the hard way and being a victim, unfortunately. But I guess for children these days, with the advent of social media and also ubiquitous devices, you know, a kid might have a tablet, a laptop. A, you know, some kids, teenagers, have like five devices that they use to access all their social medias. and and stuff but I guess what tips can you give parents and and even the children themselves to kind of stop them from uh, becoming victims of these kinds of incidents?
0: I think the major thing that parents can do is teach their children how to identify a a real digital footprint because honestly people say to me well why didn't your parents stop you using the internet and that's just as ridiculous as it sounds when you're a 14 or 15 year old it, you're going to use the internet to talk to your friends
1: absolutely and you're
0: gonna hide it if they try and stop you
1: mm-hmm. it's so, always been the case through the generations yeah, like absolutely. you know if, if you ban a child from a certain thing they'll just find another way to do it or they'll keep doing it
0: yeah absolutely. And, and they'll try even harder and do it more
1: that's right that's right so, so yeah so should do you think there should be more perhaps parental supervision for teenagers on the internet so the parents should know what sites they should be on or are you more of a privacy kind of advocate for for the teenagers you know the parents are just guide the teenagers and say, hey, you know, just be careful of these kinds of things. What, what do you think is the right way of doing it?
0: I don't think putting limits in place is going to have a huge impact. As we said, they're going to go and try and figure out a way to do it anyway. Yeah. For me, I think the biggest thing is education Education and yeah. talking about the real kind of things that happen on the internet in comparison to things that happen in the real world and identifying what real people are like. I mean, you can easily go out and create a fake profile and say you go to a school in the same city Mm. as someone. So it's very important that parents teach their children just how to identify all these clues about what a real person is online because whether you realize it or not, you leave a digital footprint. And it could be something like you might have attended a local event and you're in a photo. You Mm. could be in your local newspaper or you could be in a school newsletter. Many of those are online now. Absolutely. And so whether we try hard to or not, we're going to end up somewhere on the internet and if someone doesn't have any of those areas on the internet, any of those little things that we all put online, generally it means they're lying about something and, and that's when you need to start questioning. And so, we really need to teach our kids how to identify those things and how to identify a real person online.
1: Absolutely. And it's good that that education's starting to come out now. I mean, 2019 was totally different to 2002, but at least those measures are being, uh, you know, currently taking place. So, I guess it's... Would you say that there's a, a bit of a good start with regards to online education? Are we kind of getting the ball rolling with this sort of thing?
0: I think we are to some degree, but I think especially with the case of Lincoln Lewis and and that catfishing scandal, for instance. Mm. Um, One of the women who was catfished ended up committing suicide because it impacted her life so much. So it's not as simple as just trying to teach in a widespread way. It needs to really be systemic in the sense the families involved, and not just the child taught at school, yeah. where they're going to ignore it. It needs to be something where the parents are educated, and they can help educate their children, yeah. as opposed to a widespread, high-level thing that kids might ignore.
1: And I think the parents as well should tell the children that they're always open to, you know, in case if something happens to the child, the child should just come to the parent and tell them. I, I think the kids shouldn't be scared in case something did happen. You know, if they did have any doubts or concerns, they should go to the parents right away. I mean, that's that's my take on it. Uh, the kids shouldn't hide it is that what you uh, would you agree with that
0: sometimes yeah but i know for me particularly i would never have told anyone uh-huh. um in my case Mike catfish actually talked to three or four of my friends from school they used to talk to him on msn
2: oh, okay.
0: so all my friends knew about him but it was something you just didn't discuss with adults Right. You wanted it to be serious and your thing. And you knew that if you told an adult, that adult would make you feel as if it was... Your fault. Yeah, Yeah. your fault. And it was not a big deal. And you were being silly Mm -hmm. for doing this thing. So, And me and my dad were always very close. We discussed nearly everything growing up. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't something I discussed with him two years later. Well,
1: oh, fair enough. I mean, based on what you're saying, I guess uh, I just can't, uh, you know, emphasize with that because I've never gone through it. But I'll, I'll take what you're, what you're saying. And, uh, yeah, I guess it must have been really hard.
0: Well, it's definitely one of those things that once you go through it, you kind of get a different perspective on it, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Um. So, Susanna, just going from that as well and, and um, going to another website and blog that you do. Uh, so, you have SusannaBirch.com, uh, which is your website and blog. So I'll leave those details in the show notes uh, for you uh, in, yeah. in in the podcast so uh, our listeners can, uh, can read it. Um, as well as that, in 2012, you set up a website called uh, Trimester Talk. It's a resource for women during various cycles of uh, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and uh, baby's first year. Um, so what inspired you to create this?
0: Well, honestly, I've always loved writing ever since I was young. And... As I got older, I, I had this idea that a writer was someone who wrote books. And a lot of people think that. And it wasn't maybe until I was 20 or so that I realised that you could be a writer in so many ways without writing a book. Mm. And you, like, even people who write descriptions on the back of cereal packets, they are writers. Yes. And journalists are writers. And all these people who write anything can be writers. You don't need a published book.
2: No, absolutely. So,
0: I started writing online after I had my first daughter and I kind of got addicted to it because I realized that you could rank in Google, you could share things on social media, you could say things once and they could have a big impact in the world without having to go out and repeat yourself like mm. you do in a day-to-day conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it's there uh, and you've left your digital footprint.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I started Trimester Talk just because after. Having my own children, I wanted to spread some of the information I'd learned, which many women don't have, um, and is one of the reasons I'm a jeweler. because a lot of women go through their birthing system and the pregnancy systems without actually getting all the information that they could, mm-hmm. and so I've always done my best to, sh- to spread awareness around all these different pregnancy issues I've seen myself and seen other women have as well. Yeah. And it's even things as simple as um, rights. For instance, legally, you can refuse any medical procedure, even if you're in labour. And many women aren't aware of that. And, and I've dealt with many who've gone, well, in my first birth, no one told me I could say no to. Mm getting induced or, or having a certain uh, type of procedure, or that I could ask for a compromise where I say, could we wait for an hour or could we wait for a day? So for me, um, it's just about spreading the information around helping women be in control and know what they can do and how to have the best birth possible and the best postpartum period possible.
1: Mm, absolutely. And and your uh, website's doing pretty well, uh, half a million views a month.
0: Yeah. So, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> I great. I like writing. So, it had about 350 posts on it at one point, I think. Goodness. So, Yes. But it's really good because I go, even if I don't log into it, I know it's spreading awareness. Even if I'm talking about other issues or I'm off, you know, talking about mental health advocacy or some other problem in the world, I know that it's spreading that message at the same time.
1: And you're doing so a do, wonderful thing. It just
0: gives a... Wider audience and a wider platform, which I love.
1: Yeah, and and it's good because, like I said, it, you leave a digital footprint online, and then in many years' time, you know, even after after we go, your uh, your things will still be there. So you would have left a legacy online.
0: Absolutely. Although the other issue I am seeing starting now with Google, especially, mm-hmm. is um, uh, there's going to be a lot more regulation online. So I give it five or so years before the internet's going to follow the way of the rest of the world and um. You won't be able to be as open and spread important messages online,
1: oh, which right. I
0: find a little bit scary.
1: That is because, scary, yeah, because that's happening yeah. in Europe right now, isn't it? Uh, for Google, or as far as I'm aware, the, 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 the regulation—they're trying. They're trying, yeah, yeah. Geez, that, thats a, a scary world because the internet's meant to be all open, and you know you don't want it to be closed, and just with certain ideas that wouldn't be fair.
0: Well, I know the Australian government was talking with Skype and. Uh, Sorry, not Skype, with Twitter and Facebook Mm -hmm. are one point about that as well. Yeah. Um, They were in discussions after what happened over in Christchurch.
1: Oh, of course, Um, yeah.
0: But uh, the the bigger issue, I think, is the fact that it's getting to the point where people can't share their personal stories unless they've got some kind of qualification. Mm -hmm. And Google is actually really cracking down on that. For instance, um, you can't share finance, legal, medical, any any type of information mm. uh, without Google pushing it down the rankings, which is which is a little bit scary.
1: Yeah, well, I guess that kind of goes back to the uh, the uh, thing that you talked about with catfishing. You know, with the children, if you try and bar them or stop them, they'll be away and they'll find another way to do it. So I guess you can you can also say that for Google, if they try regulating too much, then uh, people like us will find another way to spread our message across.
0: Well, this is true, and mm. of course there are a lot of you know scams and inaccurate pieces of information out there but people also go to the internet because they don't want to hear what their doctor would say they want to hear what other people who've experienced the same thing, would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see. Hopefully uh, Google (laughs) have a change of heart, but uh, we'll see see how all this regulation goes. But as long as you're spreading the message and uh, com and trimestertalk.com are up, uh, you're doing wonderful things. Thank you. Excellent. Um, So where else or what else are you doing? I mean, is there any other blogs or any other websites or anything else you'd like to promote?
0: Um, at this point, I'm kind of in the middle of, a, of so many loose ends. Um, I am about to finish a Master of Marketing. I've got about four weeks left. I'm uh-huh. looking forward to getting that over.
1: Not long to go. Um,
0: no, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am about to launch a webinar actually for helping women who've recently had their first child or recently been in some sort of um, business model they weren't happy with I'm actually going to work from home roles because I've seen so many scams in the work from home industry.
2: Mm, And
0: I've worked from home over the last 10 years in a range of roles from transcription through to copywriting, SEO, digital marketing, all these different areas. And and there's so many women out there who they want to work from home and stay home with their kids but they they don't even know where to start. So instead of telling people which opportunity to go for, um, I'm about to launch a webinar that'll give them all the options and help them choose one that suits them.
1: So mm, that's, that's good.
0: One of my next things.
1: Excellent, and and tell them that anything that says make five thousand dollars a month here, you know, they're probably scams. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And there's so many of those out there. It's scary.
1: Absolutely. If it's too good to be true, then it usually is, right?
0: Definitely. Abs- Definitely.
1: Absolutely. Well, Susanna Birch, thank you so much for chatting with me this afternoon. It was great. And uh, keep doing uh, the good work that you're doing.
0: Thank you so much, Ivan.
1: Uh, thank you. That was In Melbourne last week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm always looking for guests. So if you're doing something extraordinary and you wish to share it on the podcast, be sure to send me an email at inmelbournelastweek at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Links to those are in the show notes. You can find In Melbourne last week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time with another episode with another special guest. Take care.